Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to the Investor Hour podcast. I'm your host Rahul Goel. The goal of this podcast is to learn from the best investment minds of our times. We want to learn their backstory, essentially what makes them them. We want to learn how they make their decisions in their personal lives, and of course. we want to learn about their core principles of investing essentially a lot of learning that could help you make better decisions in life and investing investors like ramesh tamani are hard to come by arguably one of the most successful investors in india he remains disappointed that he has not done even better it's this hunger that drives him and makes for a fascinating conversation we also talk about what could lead the next wave in the stock market training the next generation for managing the damani portfolio and why shopping for expensive handbags is not a good idea if you want to get rich with stocks here goes ramesh welcome to the uh, investor hour podcast uh i want to kick this uh, whole thing off uh by discussing the background to what makes ramesh damani ramesh damani right and I, my starting point is your father So I understand your father was associated with stocks. So can you tell us a little bit uh, more about that first? Yeah, uh, thank you, Rahul. First, for of course asking me to come on your show, and good luck with it. Uh, I come from you know a, a pedigree of investors. My father was in the market since the early '60s, and uh, at that time the cake itself was very small because the markets were a backwater really to the economy, and so he lived through what he calls the China War in '62. the pakistan war in 65 the dividend control act the emergency so it was only a, i think the dividing day in india was probably i think it was july 25 when manmohan singh uh, walked to the well of the parliament and introduced his revolutionary budget i think before that the indian market didn't count in the in the world and now here this is probably one of the most important emerging markets and perhaps in the next 10 20 years an important emerged market also so you know my father was uh, one of the few people who he did try speculation to be honest with you but he realized he was better off in fundamental investing because he was an avid reader he was one of the first readers who read time magazine for example who oh. read uh, yeah you know and he introduced me to love for reading from that early age in life and based on what he understood there for example he understood that the company called food specialities which later became nestle or ksb pumps or indian hotels would be good businesses to invest in because that's very strong mnc parented some of them mm-hmm. so just by hearing him listening talk to his friends and being around him i kind of understood the value of a great business so the other person who's also helped me tremendously all my involvement as an investor other than my contemporaries of course we we'll talk about is a gentleman who is no longer with us called chandrakant sampath he would actually come to my office in the early 90s by the time he was a wise old man and he would talk to us about the marvels of compounding and explain to us what difference compounding can make so i think in the early formative years my father and chandrakant sampath had a huge influence on my approach to investing yeah, so you had a head start you had a house <laughs> a household which you were surrounded by the right material the right kind of advice and probably uh of the lessons uh, your father learned from speculation got passed down to you so uh 
when did you get started? So 60s onwards, you've been seeing this, I guess, absorb, absorbing it. And when did when did you say, you know, it's, something? it's very strange. I think I spent the first 25 years of my life running away from the stock market because I wanted some other career. I didn't think it was a fashionable or in business to be in because as I mentioned, it was a backwaters. The last year was a backwaters at that time. Yes. So the first 25 years of my life, I spent running away from it. Then my father was wanting, he kind of sensed the approaching storm that India was changing and the, the liberalization budget would come around and the markets would never be the same again. Mm -hmm. So very early on in the 80s, when I was a student in America doing my MBA, mm -hmm. he offered me a very simple proposition, Rahul. He said, here's $10,000, take it, invest it in the stock market. And if you double your money, it's yours to keep. And if you lose it, no questions asked. You don't have to pay me back for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it seemed like a fairly uh, nice thing to do. Uh, <laughs> the lesson in this was that I think I got in money perhaps in 1982 when the Dow had just broken 1,000 after a period of 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. And yet, astonishingly, uh, in 1978, 79, uh, 82, the bull market started. By the next three years, I'd lost that entire amount of money, which, mm -hmm. of course, you know, made me very... Uh, embarrassed and anxious of myself because not only had lost the money, but we are in a bull market. How can you lose so much money in a bull market? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first lessons I learned that uh, every bull market is new leadership. I was looking and driving through the rear view mirror. So I was a product of inflation, which of course now seeing again. So I was buying in all this gold commodity companies and silver commodity companies and oil mm -hmm. drilling companies, all of them which had done well in the 70s. And just because they fell down 60% or 70% didn't make them bargains. They mm -hmm. fell another 50% from the prices which I bought them in. So I realized I learned the, that the hard way. But in retrospect, it was a very cheap education. And my father accomplished what he wanted me to do, got me interested in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And that was just the price I paid for understanding it. Yeah, and, then, and then, of course, you know, as history uh, uh, is recorded, you became what you became. I'm going to go back to your father. And uh, you mentioned, you preempted my question. I was going to ask you, did your father hand you over some stocks, you know, like uh, Nestle's and Levers of the world? You refer to some stocks. Uh, those you know, stocks that was, uh, have done phenomenally well over time, right? You know, the, the, you know, the, it's a funny thing. I think my uh, my dad was, you know, a couple of things happened in our family, Rahul. Mm -hmm. First, my dad was, of course, uh, very good at identifying these stocks. He, along with Chandrakant Sampad, were considered the pioneers of fundamental investing on the last street in the 60s mm -hmm. and 70s. Uh, my father, I think, missed, didn't understand one concept, which is compounding. I think he kind of, in his education, that didn't quite through. So his approach was typically, and he, of course, had to support a family. We had no family money, so he had to support the family. So he would typically buy something, even double to triple, he would sell it, pay the taxes on it, and reinvest in there. Mm -hmm. And then when I came along in 88, 89, Mm -hmm. In order to finance the brokerage business, because I became a member of the Bombay Stock Exchange, we needed some liquidity. So mm -hmm. actually, the words of the great bull run we had in 89-92, when the index went from 1,000 to 4,500, we were sitting on cash being a broker, when we should have been investors mm -hmm. than brokers. Anyway, that's history out there. But yeah. <laughs> at some point, I figured out that long-term investing is more lucrative than brokerage. So I switched boats again. But yeah. uh, I think uh, each generation learns incrementally. So That's I think right. uh, there are some things I bought to the family table. And now there's something that my son, who's still young and 30 and getting his uh, feet yeah. wet, is bringing yeah. to the table in terms of sectors and businesses that he enjoys. Yeah. You know, I love talking to you every time. 
And also it's a big challenge for me because you're preempting a lot of the things I want to talk about. <laughs> so, but I'll still stick to the, the, uh, the process that I want to follow. So I'm going to go back to Chandrakant Sampath. I think I bumped into him once in the early 90s. And uh, I remember uh, Business India having a cover on Chandrakant Sampath at some point in time. I guess he's one of those people that everyone should know about, but almost no one knows about, where he built these ama this amazing portfolio of blue chip stocks. I think he was impervious to whatever was happening in the markets and he just his wealth just compounded over time. And he could be like a great role model to have for anyone uh, who wants to lead a good life and yet make you know a lot of money by holding stocks over a long term. Absolutely. In fact, let me tell you, share a story with your viewers about mm -hmm. Chandrakant Sampath. Mm -hmm. This was told to me secondhand, but uh, from very good sources. Mm -hmm. In uh, when Mrs. Gandhi was assassinated, the Prime Minister was assassinated on October thirty first, nineteen eighty. Uh, I forget eighty six or uh, some year like that. Okay, eighty four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, you know mm -hmm. that day the last street was sharply down. Mm -hmm. And uh, a young investor came up to Chandrakant Bai and said, oh my God, what's going to happen? And Chandrakant Bai told him, you know, go and buy a share called Bosch at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, how can you talk about buying when the country's going through turmoil, the riots going on in Delhi? He said, look, I'm extremely sorry that Ms. Gandhi passed away. And of course, it's a tragedy for the nation. Mm -hmm. But the stock price that Bosch is today won't come back because it's a great value. So as a value investor, you need to go out and buy the stock irrespective yeah. of what's going on out there. Yeah. And I think some of those lessons uh, stuck with me. And he was actually so patient in explaining to me and to other people who were interested in tapping his wisdom of, you know, the fundamental construct in the stock market from my experience has been compounding. And there's one man I will credit for teaching me that compounding and what difference can make your life. It is uh, Sampat. So yeah. uh, he, of course, you know, became more non-active before the tech boom happened in India. So he had his glory years with the levers and the Colgates of the world. But I think the lessons he, he left behind are quite enduring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think when I, yeah, same stocks come to mind, you know, Nestle, PNG, I guess those were the stocks that he... Yeah. That Indian he really, shaving, Gillette, all those stocks were... Yeah, uh, he was very yeah, yeah, and they had a phenomenal run at that point. And, uh, and you're right, because after that, they entered a long phase of underperformance. That's when the new age of stocks came. You mentioned something very important right now, where you said every bull market has new leadership. And that's a very, uh, I guess, uh, important thing. I know we, I think we all hear of it in t on the TV, you know, uh, people talking about it. But uh, how, how do you think about it in terms of how do you go about this? You've seen so many cycles, right? Like when, if I was to go and search Ramesh Damani, and I guess in the 90s, I would find you talking a lot about public sectors. I think you were looking for the next round of leadership. And you said, as India would open up, you know, the public sector would do well. Uh, you were right. It's just the timing, I guess. It took time, but the public sector has done phenomenally well as, they, uh, as they've come on to their own. Uh, how do you go about this process? Is there a way to preempt? Uh, what's the leadership? And I'm not talking about this rally or the next rally. I'm just talking about like decades. Yeah, I think it's just being, a, you know, the, finding new leadership is, you know, to translate that into simple English is called new horses for new courses. So when there's a new world market, there'll be new leadership in the market. Yeah, I get, and you yeah. go back and study in the 90s, it was the cement companies that moved up. In mm -hmm. 2000, is the technology boom that moved up. In 2000, you know, four or five bull market is infrastructure stocks, yeah. real estate that moved up. Uh, 
you know, we still have to debate what happens in this uh, 2023 bull run. Yeah. Uh, particularly uh, who's up. But you find the leadership has always changed. Mm. Typically, a set of stocks don't, you know, the, the nature of capitalism that in the bull run, when the stocks leadership, they will go from being undervalued to be completely overvalued. And then that correction as a consolidation phase takes in the next 10 years and past the next bull market. So yeah. typically as a, you know, investor, you want to buy the stocks cheap, write them mm. up in the bull market, and then lighten them up and try to find, you know, some new uh, businesses. Of course, having mm. said that, there are some businesses that should transcend a bull market or bear market cycle. Yeah. The mm. businesses that you hold for a long period of time. And if you find them, you know, it's the holy grail of investment. It's the holy grail. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I want to ask you about probably a story you missed. I think you spoke about it at the Equity Master Conference. And uh, what I really liked is the way uh, you, you spoke about that. And uh, I think this is what you mentioned. You said that I missed Bajaj Finance as a stock. And what you said next really stuck with me. And you said it was in my backyard. And I was making visits to Pune and meeting companies. And I still missed it. So for someone who's been in the market for so many decades, that kind of passion to find every big opportunity, uh, where, where does that come from? And how do you- You know, it's it? not, Raul, you're being too charitable to me and I won't be as charitable to myself. Uh, you know, this business is within my circle of competence, okay? Mm -hmm. I can understand if I, you know, miss out, say Reliance industry, big, nice conglomerate, but it's not within my area of understanding how polyester prices move and how oil moves. It's not within my circle of competence. Mm -hmm. This was within my circle of competence, okay? There is no excuse for me to miss it. And, you know, my wife can't fire me, but, you know, she should have fired me for missing Bajaj Finance. There's no excuse in my business for missing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I bought it later on, and the stock is still done well after that, especially in the pandemic, it had fallen to a low of 2,000, it's back to 6,000. So, you know, you're getting on to it. But... The biggest crime in this is you miss something you understand or you should you should try and understand. And that was the crime. It wasn't, uh, you know, maybe some other stocks did well or so. Yeah. But Bajaj Finance, and again, I'm not recommending it in any way, shape or form, yeah. but these are long-term compounder stocks that can you know, deliver superior growth for long periods of time. Yeah. And for me to understand the business of finance and to still miss it uh, is something that, you know, is hard to forgive. Yeah. So you're being too charitable. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you, and I, I really like that passion because after doing something for so long, you can give yourself a pass, you know, okay, I missed it. You were like on the, I think it was the equity master conference. You were like, I shouldn't have missed it, you know? No, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't yeah. have. I, I can miss a lot of other stocks and I miss a lot of other stocks. Yeah. But you can't miss something within your supposed area of competence. So yeah. that, that's it. How, I mean, how, unfortunately, I'm answerable only to myself. No one comes and puts a gun to my head. I'm not a public fund manager. But yeah. at least I have to be truthful to myself and say, yeah. that was a bad one, Ramesh. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, you spoke about core competence. How do you define your core, uh, core competence? Uh, <laughs> Rahul, I think I've also evolved as an investor over periods of time. And typically now I tend to look at more technology businesses, FMCG businesses, mm -hmm. maybe some financial businesses, because I kind of understand that that is what I call my uh, circle of competence. But I think at the heart of what, uh, you know, Warren Buffett gave this great example and I always read him and I always quote him. He said, the principles of investing were laid by Aesop Fable, you know, in 600 BC. What he said was, 
is a bird in the hand more than two in the bush. And that translates the paradigm that we all try to find, that what is the present value of some future discovery that you're going to have? And then it just goes down to that. We, uh, as your mother told you that, you always look for a bargain. The same is true about the stock market also, that you know you want to look for a bargain. Uh, the way the size of a bargain differs. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, once you understand that basic construct that we are looking for bargains, you can find bargains almost in every asset class in life, across regions, across countries. It really doesn't matter. I mean, you can't be looking for stocks in America or Indonesia or yeah. India with the same fervor because, you know, a bargain is a bargain. You kind of understand that uh, instinctively. Yeah. Yeah. So the core competence always is to, you know, buy things cheap. So I'm curious to uh, know. Then a trigger for a change. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So I'm curious to know that when you are uh, looking at stocks, <laughs> uh, you're trying to find a, a bargain. Uh, typically, you know, uh, in, in our world, you're trying to do uh, the cash flows of a company and say how much you should pay for it, right? What kind of return you expect, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm wondering whether what makes, uh, uh, what makes your process more successful or what has given you all the success is, do you really go down deep? For example, let's just take Bajaj Finance as an example. Do you like really go deep into the company and understand uh, what kind of technologies they're developing in-house? You know, uh, what platforms they're building? Like really deep stuff. Or, or you're a little more top-down. No, no, it should, you know, I mean, we don't do deep-down DCF. If you do that, we would be beaten by someone from I'm in the bar, the someone, uh, some M- okay. MBA from Stanford University. What we should do is obvious. Let me give an example of something I picked in my stock, which I've discussed before, but it bears repeating that uh, sometime in 2003, the Indian liquor market was available for maybe $200 million US. Now, you don't need to do DCF analysis to understand that that is you know, mispriced. Mm-hmm. How can 140 uh, crore Indians, the entire business with so many people entering the young age, yeah. India is a very young country. Mm-hmm. We worth so little. And yet, amazingly enough, you're getting the liquor businesses uh, in uh, McDowell's and the beer businesses in United Spirits for, well, I think, $200 million uh, US. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Buffett yeah. says, you know, sometimes the values are so obvious that people would cross, uh, you know, shark infested waters in order to buy these uh, stocks. And yeah. yet, the markets available at almost 3 to 5% yield, and they were available for yield. Now, what happened is that at some point, management decided to do something about these businesses, okay? Mm-hmm. So till mm-hmm. then, it was a waiting game. That, that was the lucky part that because they invested and two years later, management did something, it extracted value. But if you're within your circle of competence, over periods of time, you will come across these astonishing bargains. Yeah. Uh, you know, people tend to think uh, that investing is like an IPL 20 game. They will swing every day, swing at every ball, try and get as runs as much as possible. Well, it's actually more like test cricket. That if you don't like a ball, let it go. It doesn't really matter. But with a nice ball, juicy ball outside the off stump, and they hit it with the empty part of the field for a six, that's where you want to take the maximum power of your bat and hit it out for a six. And what will get you ultimately to financial freedom, and that's what the markets are for, is understand compounding, compounding, compounding. There's nothing else. There's no magic. There's no secret. Mm -hmm. It's understanding compounding. So, you know, I would like to think that I know everything about a company or did the deep dive of Bajaj Finance. But Bajaj Finance, you asked a very interesting example. I just listened to Rajiv Jain speaking once somewhere and I was mesmerized. I don't think I've ever seen a CEO present the case much better 
Then mm-hmm. I saw Rajiv Jain present his case to a bunch of students, you know. Mm-hmm. And immediately I walked out uh, and said to someone, and maybe he'll prove me right, I don't know. This is going to be one of India's largest market cap companies. And it's already in the top 50 probably. But, you know, it's extraordinary the kind of vision and the kind of, you know, understanding he brings to the company. So my bet was that this is the man to bet on. It really yeah. wasn't a deep dive into Bajaj Finance. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I think uh, a, a, a lot of people probably approach uh, investing in a very uh, uh, mathematical way, uh, which which tends to work in one direction. And the other, I, I noticed that, it, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you know a lot of investors, <coughs> you've you, you shared your example, that typically these really large bets that people have made over time, they're usually based on a lot more than just the DCF. It's got to do with, you know, uh, uh, like this market, um, the market cap analogy, right? How large the market could get. It's very top down. Is is that the feel you get when you talk to investors like yourselves? I'm not just top down, but you know, it's a, a lot of them. It's more instinct and conviction, in, in, and this is the feeling that they get from watching a screen or from listening to people yeah. or understanding the opportunity. Uh, I mean, I think increasingly people do try and predict or forecast what the earnings are. And, you know, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's just about the feeling you get about a particular stock or a particular opportunity. Uh, At least a lot of the people that I've listened to or been mentored by, you know, Mm -hmm. tend to use that approach uh, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, trying to do a 360 degree analysis of the business. Sometimes the markets don't give you that kind of time in order to do it. And Uh, that feeling probably comes from it gets developed by experience over time. Yeah, that, that's what it comes by experience. You just have to, you know, uh, when I was in America, uh, the Lakers were in the Showtime game out mm-hmm. there and they had a coach midstream. Uh, Pat Riley and the, Paul Westhead was fired and Pat Riley had become the coach out there and they were not win the championship in his first year. And uh, he said, he was asked the secret of his success that he turned around the Lakers and they won the championship. He said, my job is to get these players to show up. And sometimes in markets, you just need to be sure. You've got to be there every single day and yeah. figure it out. You, it's not a business you come in when you think a bull market's on or when a bear market's over. You need mm-hmm. to be on the business every single day. Woody Allen, I said, put perfect. No? Life mm-hmm. is about showing up. So are the markets. Yeah, that's right. That's, 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 that's a great <laughs> thing. Uh, let's let's uh, 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 switch gears a bit. Uh, you've, of course, had a very long <coughs> career. Uh, investing, you said in late eighties, right? So you are in your fortieth year. You, you in in uh, six years, seven years, you'll probably cut a cake and say forty years in the markets, and uh, probably have a tombstone over me. But that apart, <laughs> no, <laughs> that old. Yeah. Okay. So uh, over these years, what would you rate as your biggest investing success? <clears throat> well. Maybe I'll answer in a roundabout way, Rahul. Sure. Uh, and I, I say this because not because I'm looking for sympathy or not because I'm looking for uh, you, know, you know positive approbation, nothing like that. Because I sincerely believe that the opportunity before me was that great. So my son asked me, "What is my biggest regret in life?" And I say, "The fact that I'm not a billionaire regrets me." You know, it's just an atrocious statement to say. I mean, there may be 3,000 billionaires in the world. Mm-hmm. What gives you the right or the belief that you should be one of the billionaires? And the reason I say that is because that was the opportunity set ahead of me. If I look back now from my perch in 2022, 
1989, had I known how to size bets, how to play markets, not just how to pick stocks, mm-hmm. I would definitely belong to that very elusive billionaire class. And I say that not to get sympathy, but to kind of emphasize that the opportunity that was available for us investors, you know, I think we'll go back to the last 30 years as the golden period of investing on the Lal Street, you know. These mm-hmm. things are only known in hindsight. We don't know them yeah. as we're living. And yeah. a lot of my contemporaries were able to do that, were able to seize the market and see, you know, do the carpe diem, seize the day, and, uh, you know, you know, yeah. walk into the billionaire category at last. And uh, despite having picked some amazing stocks in my life and being part of a, a multi decade bull run in India, mm-hmm. I've not achieved that holy grail. Uh, so it's not really about the money. I mean, obviously, the money is important. But it's about comparing yourself to the best. I mean, yeah. did you qualify for the Oscars? Did you qualify for the, uh, uh, you know, Emmys? And uh, did you win the Olympic gold medal, you know? And I find, I find regretfully that in my own career, I was short of doing these things. For whatever reason, I'm not necessarily looking for sympathy or looking for an explanation. I just have to answer to myself. And the reason I say that is because I, I think it's very important that your viewers and readers understand that the opportunity for the next 30 years is perhaps as good as it was in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to go ahead, if you're going to dream, why not dream to be a billionaire, okay? And you could have done it without leverage, you could have done it without un- <coughs> taking a large amount of risk. And there are a lot of role models of good investors in the last 30 years who've done that. So instead of considering the success as uh, you, know, you mentioned, I would rather concentrate on that, uh, that failure to seize the moment, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I just think that I would have uh, been happier. It's not that I'm unhappy. I'm just me. You know, I just think that you should always judge yourself by the opportunity you had. I mean, my dad, when he was, you asked him earlier, the opportunity was not there in the Indian market. It was just a small market. There was an enormous opportunity. Trading was easy. Commissions were low. Liquidity was large. Great companies were going public in India, you know. So someone who claims to be bright and ambitious should have been able to seize the opportunity. So my second part of that role is that, well, maybe I haven't done it and that's bad. But like you, perhaps I met a lot of other kids and I'm sure one of them is going to seize this opportunity ahead of us. So I, I, uh, there was a lot of what you said, which, uh, you know, it's uh, worth delving deep into is uh, I think uh, there is sometimes in society, Indian society, there's hesitation in making a statement like what you would make, that I regret I'm not a billionaire, right? Uh, yeah, but, it is. But, it's atrocious. Yeah, but but uh, the way you do it and the reason you do it, it's so so uh, it, it's valid that if you want to become an actor, you should aim for the Oscar, right? At least yeah. that should be your goal. If you want to judge yourself, you want to judge yourself against the best. The other thing uh, uh, that you uh, said is evaluate yourself vis-a-vis the size of the opportunity. That is so important. Yeah. You know, a rising tide will lift all boats. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. it goes exactly. back to Buffett. You know, you can all feel nice, but the fact is that did you really break through the tide and reach the high seas from where there's no coming back? Otherwise, you are just moving along with uh, the masses. I mean, Raul, just to give you yeah. perspective, mm-hmm. uh, when I joined the index, was maybe in the region of around 600. It is 60,000 early this year. So mm-hmm. the index itself has been a 100 bagger. Okay. That's the kind of opportunity that we're staring at. Now, it behooves someone like me who's full-time in the market to have kind of figured that out. Mm-hmm. And we go through bouts of pessimism about India, uh, you know, lack of confidence, uh, you know, 
But those are all excuses. I mean, you think about it when Barack Obama became the first black president of America. Mm-hmm. In an interview before uh, he became president, he told uh, the media that if I don't become president, I will not blame the fact that this country is racially divided. You know, I will blame the fact that I didn't run a good enough campaign. Mm-hmm. And that's the correct spirit to have done it. And that's the correct spirit which I want to introduce yeah. to what I'm telling you. I have actually, you know, I have a great life, I have a great family, great grandkids. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's just that you have to take your own measure. And uh, I feel a bit, you know, short. Yeah. Uh, the third thing you said in, the, uh, uh, in your uh, uh, response to that question was uh, position sizing. Now, this is something that, uh, you know, in my personal life, I've thought about a lot. And that's why over time, I have not bought many stocks. So firstly, there are a lot of restrictions in equity master. You can't buy stocks. There's a lot of controls. But whenever I've had a chance to buy, I have really, uh, you know, thought about position sizing a lot because what's the use in finding the best stock, finding Bajaj Finance and then ending up buying 10 shares? You could still be, end up with a hundred bagger. It's not going to impact your life a lot. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So I talk to us a little bit more about position sizing, because I think that's one takeaway a lot of people can take, which they currently miss. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, to quote Buffett and Munger on this, they said that great ideas are rare. And when you find a great idea, you need to back up the truck and buy. You only have so many great ideas in your car. You'll have five, ten in your car. So... At that time, you can't buy fire shares or you can't make 50 bucks in a bull market and and do that thing. So uh, it has always been a limiting factor for me because I'm a product of a middle-class background. So Mm -hmm. once I achieve some success, I always want to make sure I protected that success that by taking an extreme bet that didn't work out, I couldn't jeopardize my future. Mm -hmm. These are all excuses that we use, but those are some of the rationalizations that Mm -hmm. I I don't do uh, position sizing. But it's more important to get it right. I think the mistake that people make is that, oh, okay, Ramesh made the mistake of doing position sizing. So I'm going to go out and buy 30% of my net worth into the next stock I find. Uh, but you better be sure that's the right stock to buy. It's yeah. not that easy that, you know, you just put money in there and it'll turn out to be right. In fact, that's the odds right. are that it'll be wrong because you're being carried away or, you know, the neon lights are sucking you in. That's so right. to get those three things right, the courage, the conviction, the cash, mm-hmm. and to lay out that kind of bet, that, mm-hmm. You know, that's why there's, you know, the athletes who run under, you know, 10 seconds, 100 meters or, you know, the mm-hmm. man like Stephen Curry scores so many goals because they get it right too. So, yeah. uh, and to know at the stage, at the nascent stage that yeah. this is a company that's going to be big or this is a company going to be worth so much. is a very, very tall order. It's very hard round. So, you know, uh, good luck. Everyone should try it, but it's not easy. That's right. Uh, when do you know uh, that, or rather, let me put it the other way. When do you exit? When do you exit? When do you sell off and say, okay, I got it wrong? Or you say, okay, this is enough. I've got what I wanted. <clears throat> well, I think you, if you get it wrong, it's easy to exit. I mean, you, 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 you swallow your pride, you take down your humility a notch and knock it down. One of the tech companies is completely wrong. Uh, I was betting on growth, it happened. I took a loss, I got out of that. That's not there. Uh, how do you exit a winner? That's a much harder thing to do because mm-hmm. you fall in love with your stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tend to, you know, say that this business is great for 20 years, will do great for the next 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. But the basic two rules of exit, Rahul, are this. A, that find a superior opportunity. 
then you should exit some stock and get into a superior opportunity. Okay. Or second, if you think the bull market is, uh, you know, withering down, like I told you, once the bull market is over, all stocks correct. The fancy stocks correct even more. Look what's happening in NASDAQ today. All the favorites of the bull market, you know, the Zoom, the Netflix is all down 40, 50%, 30%. But that happens in every bull market. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you think, whenever you think the bull market's over, and there are ways you can figure that out. And that's the time you want to get out of the stocks, get it more into cash, or get into other stocks, you know, rotate in and out. But bull markets typically last three to five years. So you can hold there for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And there are some stocks you don't want to get out. And there's some stocks that I held for 20, 30 years in my portfolio because the size of the opportunity is great. And just because there's going to be a 20, 30% or even a 50% correction coming. I don't want to get out of those stocks. So mm-hmm. it's a different thing. But typically, I would say, if you have a superior investment opportunity or if you feel that the bull market is over and you just want to take some of the winnings home. Yeah, I've always found uh, in my uh, uh, interactions <coughs> with people uh, that uh, they're very, uh, they're, they're kind of afraid to book a loss. Uh, winners, they get married. You know, that's always a problem, right? When do you exit? If at all you want to exit. But uh, a lot of people hold on to their losses and perhaps me too for far longer than we should. And uh, is there any trick you follow? to? Because it's psychologically, I think, it's, it does not uh, it does not work <laughs> to book a loss. <clears throat> Read Peter Lynch what he said, you know, water your flowers, cut your weeds. And I think that's the only answer. <clears throat> you have to be pretty ruthless about it uh, because, uh, you know, not everything goes down as a bad thing, you know, but if you feel that you bought a company with a particular idea in mind, that the company can deliver, you know, superior mm-hmm. growth rates, you know, I mean, the company I bought was in the product business and I felt that, we need to move from services to products. But what happened was that services continue to flush and product businesses didn't do well. So at some point, you know, you just throw in the towel, you took a loss in it, but you know, you move on. So it's just a discipline you have to build for yourself. Yep. Okay. So uh, you, of course, <coughs> quote Buffett a lot. You've learned a lot from him. So um, if you were to bump into Buffett somewhere, what's the one question that you would ask him? Well, oh, that's a great, <laughs> I haven't thought of that. What is the one question I'd ask uh, Buffett? I think uh, <clears throat> how he sizes up businesses so fast. I mean, you can, he said many times that, you know, you can give it to me almost any business in America and I can give you an answer within, you know, five minutes whether I want to invest in that or not. So he obviously has a matrix down on how he sizes up businesses, you know, what is the intrinsic value of the business? Mm-hmm. I mean, he said something that's astonishing today uh, in this last AGM, Raul. He mm-hmm. said that he bought Allegheny Insurance. He bought the company for 75 years before he bought it. I mean, he followed this company for 75 wow. years before he bought it. Charlie Munger said something. He said he read a paper called Balance for mm-hmm. 40 years. Never bought anything. Till one day he found a particular idea in there, which is a no-brainer. Put all his money in it. The stock went up 10x, then he gave it to someone else. So I'm saying that kind of patience that you have of reading and understanding without actually acting. <clears throat> how do you do that? And that would be a great question to ask him. Yeah. You were my dinner companion. Yeah, I think many years ago, <laughs> now I, I, I don't recollect the source, but many years ago, someone had asked uh, Buffett, how do you do it? How do you, he said, start with the A's. What he was referring to was the value line. Value line, books, yeah. And yeah. that's how you start reading yeah. with the yeah, A's. Yeah. You start reading every company. So I guess these, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a whole new level, right? I mean, they're but, different levels. I mean, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. That, uh, uh, it's it's a we, we may have all the tools and the technology, 
but we'll still not have the kind of edge these guys have about stocks. Yeah, we just you know it's the temperament. Still... Rahul comes comes down to the temperament, as he says. I mean, you need a temperament not to get swing between you know greed and fear, not yeah. to get uh, you know over worried about what's happening. So mm-hmm. I think Buffett said, if you have twenty points extra of IQ, give that to somebody else, but take the temperament which you need to be in the stock market. You know, yeah. so I think that's probably helps. Yeah. So <clears throat> talk to me a little bit about uh, your uh, process of uh, trying to find opportunities. What, where, what do you read? What are you looking at? Uh, where do you travel? Yeah, I, I read quite a bit, and that helps a lot. It, it kind of it throws up. You know where the world is uh, investing in. For example, right now, I keep reading of how you know people invest in space, whether it's satellite, whether it's you know space defense, or whether it's uh, you know some other parts are going to Mars and building a manufacturing base there. You know, mm-hmm. so you know clearly, uh, you know a lot of people are spending a lot of time, and there's some listed companies overseas which you can profit from. So mm-hmm. just to give an example, <clears throat> in India, to come back to you know the more uh, you know, basic trends, you might want to look at, you know, say, for example, I'm looking at defense PSUs because I think what happens now is that everyone realizes that you need self-sufficiency. And just as you, during the COVID, you spend more on health, I think you're spending more on defense now because every country wants basic insurance. Mm-hmm. So there's some, you know, extraordinary uh, good businesses that are available right now that you look at. So there's no one particular method, but you keep at it. I mean, it's like what we told you, show up, you know, keep reading yep. about it, keep thinking, keep discussing with your friends. Some ideas will meet, some ideas you won't meet out there. But I think it's, uh, you know, iterative process. You just kind of go through it every day. And once you realize that uh, a bear market is getting over, you realize there'll be opportunity in the new bull market. So try to focus on new ideas and new themes that might light up the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you read all the financial papers, do you, uh, do you read international stuff every day? Wall Street Journal every day? I think that's what I find more interesting, the international stuff. So yeah. uh, clearly I read the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the New York Times every day. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weekly, like, you know, Barron's Magazine and so on and so forth. Uh, I have a good network of friends who believe in reading. So we email each other articles that we might have read. So there is a great community out there. And it's extraordinary now, just to give you perspective on the street. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a whole bunch of different categories. There are people who are brokers, there are people who are arbitragers, people who you know believe in fixed investments, street. Then there are people who believe that, oh, stock markets are manipulated and people move up the price, move down the price, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to you know buy up chunk, move up the price, and then sell it to some institution. And so we make our money out this way. But there's a small, but you know, increasingly visible group who believe that markets are important and that corporate governance is important. And we look at great businesses and we buy it because it's a great business, not because tomorrow LIC is going to buy it or tomorrow some foreign investor is going to buy it. We're buying it because they're great businesses. Mm-hmm. I think we tend to belong, at least I tend to belong to that group and hang around with those kind of people. Yeah. And I think it, it's been extraordinary what has happened over the last 30 years in the stock market. I mean, even in 87, 88, it was a physical system. In India, brokerage is so very high. Liquidity wasn't that strong. But you remain invested in India for 30 years. It's been you know, an extraordinary journey that uh, yeah. we've been witness to. Yeah. And it's only in retrospect that we're understanding it. <clears throat> and I think if I were to pick out all the strands and say, what has helped me the most? It has been the, 
idea that I remained invested in Indian equities. I believed I remained invested. And over periods of time, I mean, the index itself moved up 16%. So my portfolio moved up maybe 21%, 22%. But if it moves up 21 percent it's extraordinary. Here's, let me just, I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating for a podcast because that's for history. Most of us will have a 30-year career in the stock market, roughly about 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. So if you, that means if you move your portfolio at about 21, 22% a year, you're going to get three doubles. Uh, you're going to double your portfolio every three years. Mm-hmm. That's what you should try and do. Mm-hmm. And in effect, you'll get 10 doubles in your 30-year career. Now that doesn't, you know, you can say 10 doubles and not understand the impact of it. But anything that doubles 10 times takes you from 10 lakhs to 100 crores. All right. That's the extraordinary opportunity that we've enjoyed for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I think we may enjoy for the next 30 years. So you could start with any amount of money. It really doesn't matter. You'd say, oh, I only 10 lakhs. This is the money stopping mm-hmm. with crores and being a billionaire and all that nonsense. But what I'm telling you is that you're looking at it from a long-term point of view yeah. over the next 30 years. You start with any amount of money. And it's going to become an extraordinary amount at the end of 30-year period. Yeah. just by virtue of compounding. And yeah. if there's one takeaway I'd like to share with your viewers is that please understand what it means. It, Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world and human evolution is a testament to compounding. Little incremental change that almost missed the eyesight, but over periods of time, we make extraordinary returns to investors. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going <coughs> into uh, what you read. So, you know, if, uh, I try and read the Wall Street Journal, New York Times every day. Uh, Barron's I was reading till RBI's policies Insured my auto renewals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all I suffering know. from that. But I think uh, uh, I don't know about uh, uh, about you. Maybe you can share views on that. But it really helps uh, open your minds to so many, in so many ways. It changes your perspective, the way you look at things. Uh, I think we have great newspapers in India. They report what they do, but uh, the kind of reporting that is, if you if you look at these papers from across the world. Uh, it it just uh, it's a trigger for ideas, and because I guess capital now moves globally, that uh, uh, that exposure is almost a must now for people to get a hang of. You very casually spoke of space. You know, we all are reading about space, but uh, I don't see much, many domestic investors talking of space. They could end up missing this whole you know thing that comes. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, if you look at the op-ed pages, forget the news part, the op-ed yeah. pages of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. it's a fountainhead of ideas or thought processes or where the world is going. Yeah. Climate change was going to happen. Defense industry was going to happen. Uh, energy industry was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if you need to be a, a well-renowned investor, I think it's important to open up those things. And, you know, while, you know, you, you pay attention to the quarterly earnings and pay attention to what the headlines in the pink press are in India, I think you want to be a good strategic investor. You need to pay more attention to global issues too. Because yeah. there's an old saying, now, which I'll, I can't uh, have a quoting. What does he know of London? Who only London knows. So what do we know of the last street? Who only knows the last street? I mean, you know, we need to broaden ourselves out to, yeah. you know, understand the world around us. Uh- Okay, let's uh, let's move ahead a bit. Uh, you you mentioned your son. You, you have one son, one one kid. I have one son, two grandson, grandchildren. So two grand, grandchildren. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, my pride and joy. The smile came when you said the two grandchildren. <laughs> I, I, there's no, there's, you know, it's funny. There's no there's no comparison. Uh, you know what uh, my wife and I feel about our grandchildren. You know, it's yeah. just uh, I mean, you know, they're now traveling, and so you know, 
I know how much I miss them. You yeah. must be on video calls with the grandkids <laughs> every day, right? As much as I can, as much yeah. as I can, as much as they can. Let me put a rephrase: as much as they can, I have to get that time. I yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, that's how it works. So, uh, <clears throat> something now you. You know, your father had a trading. Uh, your your father was investing, speculating, doing all this. You learned from him. You you spoke about you know your son is starting to dip his toes into this and kind of picking it up. But uh, when you think of handing over your life's work, uh, how's that process? How does it? How do you think about it? Or do you think about it? Or it's happening? <laughs> uh, talk to me about that. As parents, particularly since my wife is in the non-financial business. Mm-hmm. You know, we worry what happens <clears throat> when the son takes over. And now he's been with me almost like eight, 10 years after college. Mm-hmm. And I think a few years back, I told my wife, I said, uh, I'm pretty sure that if I've hit by lightning today, the family portfolio is in good hands in, in, with my son. It is not because, you know, he'll pick the next 100 bagger. I don't know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. We don't know that. But he understands the mechanics of this. He understands Mm-hmm. how you protect capital, mm-hmm. how you compound and how you be patient and how you separate the good businesses from the bad businesses, the good management from the loose management. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is the most important uh, base that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that success will inevitably happen. I'm pretty sure about that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't know. But I told my wife that I seriously doubt he's going to take the family fortune and you know squander it on a fabulous house or a great vacation i mean oh, you know these are ultimately bubbles mm-hmm. i think uh, rahul the uh, the culture uh, of the group of friends that i have mm-hmm. and the uh, you know ethos uh, is not necessarily held by the number of cars you drive or the vacations you take or the diamonds you wear or the handbags you have but by what's in your demand account I and mean, what is the value of the demand account how is it compounded when you bought a stock how much did you buy of it and how mm-hmm. much did it go up of that Mm-hmm. I think he's imbibed that culture, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hope he remains on the straight and narrow. You can never see in a life's journey what happens. Yeah. But I'm hoping and praying that he'll stay on that, yeah. stay on that path. How did he reach, uh, how did he get to that path? Talk to us. Did you take him through any stories from the past on certain stock discussions, uh, purchases that happened? We did, we did. I mean, you know, the kids you know, learn the war stories from their father. Uh, just as I learned from my father. So, you know, he learned the stories of my father. We have an incredible group of friends uh, who, you know, also, you know, mm-hmm. tell their stories. Or I've told their stories to him out there. And at the end of the day, someone, a kid, whether there's a son or daughter, needs burning ambition, you know, that I want to discover my place in, in this world. And when you're young, you want to get there fast. But when you're old, you realize that you do 20% a year, you're really doing a good job. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, a combination of these factors uh, he also likes to read as much as I do. So he's been exposed to Buffett and Munger. In fact, in his office, he has a, a small model of Charlie Munger. Wow. Uh, so, you know, so the influence is there. And he, he always tells me the way he judges people's houses is an interesting story. The way he judges people's houses when he visits them, he says, how many books do they have? There. He says, I can go to people's houses that are, you know, beautiful houses, lovely gardens. I can't find a book there. And then sometimes I go to a small apartment and it's stacked full of books, you know. And I always know that who's doing the thought process when I see that. We know, where he, got the reading. We know where he got the reading from, from his genes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, I, that I would take myself credit for. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, 
you mentioned your wife's a non business <clears throat> person, a non finance person. Did you say that? So it does she does she uh, have any business interests or she's just taking care of the two the money's in the house and ensuring they don't blow it up? <laughs> well, if I be cruel, I'll say that you know. My son and I work five days a week, but she spends seven days a week. No, I'm just being, I'm just being uh, frivolous out here. Recorded for posterity, yeah? mind yeah. you. The, the, the thing Rahul to remember is that uh, marriage is genuinely a partnership. Uh, and she and I have had our struggles, uh, never really about money. But, you know, some instances, to give you an example, you know, say she wanted... Uh, bigger house, say, for example, uh, or more expensive furniture for that matter. I mean, I would always say that, why would I invest in depreciating asset when I could do money to work in the market and, you know, make us so much more money? And I think over maybe 10, 20 years of lessons, she finally understood these things. And we have a better house now. We have, you know, more expensive jewelry or whatever. But they're not a significant part of, you know, portfolio. I mean, 95%, no, in fact, I would say 99% of the money family wealth is in equity, it's in the DMAT account. I mean, the rest are bubbles. You really don't care about them. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think over time, she has, uh, you know, learned the lesson. But uh, another friend of mine used to be a gentleman called Jim Rogers, I'm sure you've heard of. Yep, and, spoken to him uh, yep, a couple of times. Yeah, and she heard him and she said, you know, Ramesh, I can't live in the Sensex. I need a house, I need furniture to live in, you know. You yeah. keep talking about stocks, I want to live in these stocks. But I think over time, as you've seen the progression and the value of compounding and how life is played out, and we truly are blessed to have achieved some financial independence. Yep. She understands the importance now. I mean, now that you have, we are nearing retiring age, our kids are growing up, our grandkids are going to school. She understands that it's nice to not have to worry about them and nice to be able to pass on something. But it's been very hard. I mean, you know, she had to live below her means mm -hmm. uh, for a number of years. Uh, when we were growing up because we wanted to print capital. And I'll tell you another story just to add to that point. Uh, mm -hmm. So very close to us became a, a widower in 97, 98, or some mm -hmm. region about there. About. And this person said, you know, two things. You know, first, I'm going to live below my means. So it doesn't really matter. If I could live at 75000 a month, I live at 50000 a month. I won't live below my means. And secondly, what most widows would have done at that stage would have said, or put my money to fixed deposit. I have to live the rest of my life. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. Put it in a fixed deposit and, you know, we'll uh, take it from there. This person said, I'm going to live below my means and I'm going to put it all in equities. I don't want, I believe in equity. I don't believe in putting a fixed deposit. And not that that person had some great stocks that they got Dr. Reddy or Asian Pen, but just remain invested in good businesses. <laughs> compounding, compounding over the last 30, 40 years, that wealth has become almost 50x. All right, which is an extraordinary amount for someone who's 80 years old. And, you know, yeah. just uh, you know, just by staying invested and buying good businesses and not you know worrying and living below your, by protecting your capital, you have such a favorable outcome. And yeah. really, if there's one message that I want to get across is that if you're young in India and you're looking to get ahead and be financially free, you need to start. Show up and start. Yeah, yeah. Okay. showing up. Yes, okay. and stay at it. The thing Stay that it, interrupts yeah. most people yeah. is because they try to time the market or try to say, you know, be too cute. You don't want to interrupt the compounding story that goes on over periods of time. You're very unlikely to be able to time the market that, oh, COVID's coming, let me get out. Oh, COVID's yeah. rebounding, I'll get back in there. It doesn't happen. The entry point is much harder. Get a good business, stay in that good business and, you know, try and look at it from a 10, 20, 30 year chunk. Yeah. Okay, we spoke about a wife. So let's say, you know, there were two years of lockdown. So I said, you know, 
your wife comes to you and say, hey, Ramesh, I was getting allowance for two years. We were not spending all that much money. I saved some money. So I have a crore rupees lying around and uh, I, I want to invest it. So what would your advice be? Yeah, sure. Uh, Raul, you know, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, my wife would probably come and say now, invest that for my grandchildren so they will have a, a legacy rather than for herself. And, you know, I'd say the things that I'm currently bullish on, because it's a new bull market, I would say yeah. that invest in technology, mm -hmm. Indian technology, because they provide the plumbing for the global guys. As mm -hmm. you go on to more digitization, as you go into more pandemic recovery world, people mm -hmm. want more digitization, more automation, more intelligence. So I would suggest put 30-40% in technology companies in India. They could be a widespread basket. And then I would put 30-40% in I like the defense PSUs. Like I explained to you mm -hmm. that everyone wants to be self-sufficient now in defense. Defense yep. spending is likely to be ratcheted up. It has moved from a seller's market to a buyer's market. So, mm -hmm. and the stocks are fairly cheap. So I think before this bull market is over, the valuations will swing to the more uh, other extremes. And yeah. then there's, you could bet in telecom, specialty chemicals, what the, the, the thought of opportunities available. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my goals in this podcast is not to talk very specific investment ideas. We're trying to talk big picture. But because you mentioned tech, I just want to ask that question because you referred to it also a while back. When you say Indian tech companies, uh, tech to many people means many things, right? To a guy in the US, tech is Amazon. To a guy in India, tech is a business like TCS or Infosys, right? Uh, when you say tech, what do you mean by tech? I mean both parts. One, of course... Amazon, um, sorry, TCS, Infosys, HCL, they provide the plumbing that the world plumbing, needs yeah. in mm -hmm. terms of technology. But there's small technology startups in India, which are listed, you know, I'm not, there are some which make no sense because they're too expensive, like say, yeah. a, you know, a Zomato or you know, Nika. But there's some like in digital mapping, which, yeah. uh, you know, mm -hmm. makes sense. Some, mm -hmm. you know, others in book publishing make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not recommending anything at all because we're not allowed to recommend. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not recommending anything. But mm -hmm. it seems to me that you can find opportunities in the plumbing as well as in the people using tech, whether it be in fintech or whether it be in you know spatial map, geospatial mapping, or in uh, you know book publishing. Say, great. That that's helpful. Uh, let's go to the last few questions. Uh, you you spoke about a lot of people who've influenced you, right? Over, over your uh, uh, over your life, you you referred uh, several times to your group of friends, which uh, which I find uh, uh, very uh, uh, refreshing and kind of unique uh, in the way you refer to them. I, and I guess you've got a strong cohort of people who you spend time with and learn from and share with. Uh, but if you had to like look outwards and say, who's like the one person you admire the most, like overall, like a like a role model, I would say, we really admire and want to be like, who would that be? Uh, I think in my head, there's no dispute. If you ask me to name one person, uh, it would be my namesake, uh, but not related to me. A uh, gentleman who, I'm the chairman of a company called Avenue Supermarks that runs DMART, for example. Yeah. But the promoter of that company uh, is a gentleman called Radha Kishan Damani. And, uh, you know, I've, you know, there's an old book that says, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten which is how to share, how to care for your friends, how to have milk and cookies. Everything I learned in the stock market and increasingly I learned in life, I've learned by osmosis through watching him because uh, much as Steve Jobs has done an extraordinary job, say in developing the computer industry, the animation industry, and the electronics industry, 
I think this gentleman has, was one of the greatest investors out of the Indian stock market. And uh, <laughs> now he's, you know, reinventing himself in the retail empire. Yeah. But mm-hmm. extraordinary the way he conducts his business, the, you know, the deep friends he has and just his acumen in financial matters uh, or in life matters is something that I always find a great privilege to be a part of. I did a show, Rahul, and maybe one day we'll do it at one of your meetings uh, at Equity Masters. I call it the quartet or standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. Through my experience, and this is purely anecdotal, which are the four greatest investors that India has seen and uh, in the last 30 years. And I said, we tribute to Chandrakhan Sampad, but he left in the markets in 2000. So yeah. in my opinion, just for the record, I would state that that one, of course, was uh, Vinod Sethi and Morgan Stanley. Yeah. He had some extraordinary picks early in his career. All these Infosys, HDFC, all became household names, were first identified by Vinod Sethi. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> second is, of course, one that nobody can miss is Rakesh Junjanwala. He's, of course, you know, the David... Uh, you know, sucking out all the oxygen in the room. He's so uh, passionate about stocks and, you know, uh, there's so much to learn from him in particular in how to understand the markets. <clears throat> the other one is, of course, the gentleman we used to run, Inam Nimesh Shah. I think uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant with numbers, brilliant with uh, his understanding of the macroeconomy, mm-hmm. brilliant into the beginning stocks, so committed now to philanthropy, so committed now to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Flame University, which runs in Pune. And of course, the fourth is, you know, what I mentioned to you earlier, my, my call, my mentor in many ways, Mr. R.K. Damani. Uh, it's been an extraordinary privilege of my life to have known those four gentlemen. And, you know, I've been almost, you know, at the court side with them while they were executing their three-point dunks or you know, three-point shots, if you will. And it's been the you know, privilege of a lifetime. And the reason I, I like to come back and you know, talk to you and talk to some other people is because in some way, people don't all have access. I can reach and teach uh, some of the great strategies that they have thought through in life. So uh, I'm blessed. What can I say? I have some extraordinary group of friends. I'm just taking four names because we're running a podcast ultimately. Yep. But it's been a, a great privilege to have known these gentlemen. Yeah. So um, I, I can tell you, since you're the chairman, uh, we are customers of DMART. Brilliant experience, <laughs> right? Super. Change the way people shop uh, completely. Uh, we do the new method, right? Order online and pick up at the shop nearby, the small shop. Amazing. Uh, One thing about Mr. Damani was that uh, during COVID, he really opened up his purse and made that big donation to the Prime Minister's Relief Fund or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was an extraordinary donation. And he's, you know, the silent one is, you know, working a lot of other philanthropic projects that I know of. Uh, You know, Rakesh and uh, Nimesh Bhai give generously to say, University, uh, Rakesh right, to Ashoka right. University, Nimesh Bhai to Flame University. So, you know, <laughs> it's not really about the money for any of them or for any of us. Yeah. You know, money is how you keep count of how good Sicily are there. But I think a lot of them feel a lot of satisfaction being able to give back and helping. You know, the thing that we all believe in is that we don't want in India an equal uh, outcome society mm-hmm. where we have everyone the same socialist cloth corp yeah. like mm-hmm. Mao's mm-hmm. China. But you want an equal opportunity society that everyone has an opportunity for education, every opportunity for healthcare, mm-hmm. everyone has an opportunity, you know, to reach their potential in life. And I think they spend a lot of time trying to do that. So uh, one more question about bumping into people. Suppose you bumped into Nirmala Sitaraman, the yeah. finance minister of India. Uh, 
what what is the one piece of advice you would give her that she should follow i mean the the one thing i'm most passionate about is that india should grow at 8 to 10% it should grow at double digits I and mean, that's what you you know if you can grow at 8 to 10% a year on a two decades mm-hmm. the economy can grow 4x 5x from that level okay so basically we go from a 4 trillion dollar economy to a 20 trillion dollar economy in that generation mm-hmm. we've seen that being done by other countries and i think we yeah. need to do that we need to get the politics right of this country to do that but we've had a stable majority in this country after a very long time mm-hmm. right so if they get to that if they can deliver that 8 10% growth that i'm looking for so desperately uh you know i think india would be a changed country right now we are happy with 6% 5% 7% growth that takes place but we need to do what it takes to move the economy at you know 8 to 10% okay wonderful and because you're a reader it only it's only fair to ask you this as the last question of the podcast which uh, what is the last book that you read and if you had any recommendations for books for our viewers <coughs> Well, you read whatever Buffett manga. I mean, that's well known to people. But I tell you a book that I really enjoyed. I don't remember the name of the author, but I remember the name of the book. It's called Vortex, uh, as in the vortex. It's okay. about the the seventy one seventy two period in India when we went through three crises. Uh, mm-hmm. First, we Bangladesh had a very big cyclone that cost a lot of lives in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, East Pakistan, West Pakistan had a war. and india intervened on the side of east pakistan and liberated bangladesh if you will and third of course is you know the creation of you know modern day bangladesh and mrs gandhi extraordinary book it relived the history that i was a part of and mm-hmm. uh, i really enjoyed reading it uh, so if you want to learn a bit more about our subcontinent our history in the subcontinent and what happened i would uh, think that's a good book but more importantly is what uh, i would uh, tell you what charlie munger's wife told charlie munger that he's a book with legs So, if you want a career in the stock market, uh, you need to read an extraordinary amount. I don't think anyone has become truly great in the stock market without kind of understanding the importance of reading, the importance of listening, uh, and you know, it's an act of faith. Now, you need to be optimistic about the future. So, investing is always an act of faith. And I would only summarize it by saying that you know, uh, you know, one quote that maybe Buffett said, maybe someone else said that you know, a ship is always safest in harbor. but it's made to take on the high seas yes. similarly your portfolio might be safe in a fixed deposit you know you might feel safe to come back out there but you need to challenge it on the high seas so you can make it grow and you can come to a more exciting place a more meaningful destination for yourself and given the opportunity that we see in india don't get too rattled by inflation's gone up right now there'll be another scam that'll happen tomorrow or ukraine these things happen but yeah. in the last 30 years we had extraordinary set of events in india which were bad Uh, global financial crisis change of governments uh, you know covid you know cargill whatever have you you know despite that the index has found its way to 60000 so there's no reason to believe that the trend is going to reverse so you know uh, you know it's read and you know stay invested yeah incidentally you mentioned that quote about munger that you know he is like a book with legs i actually have that framed in <laughs> in my room where yeah. in my study in my house So, we are fellow uh, readers so that's good yeah that that's wonderful you know that's uh, it just tells you and the and you know the kind of passion they have i think if one thing we can take away from this discussion is uh you got to read a lot uh and the markets it's about showing up yeah it's showing up doing the thing developing that instinct uh and i think uh, 
and then having the conviction to make those big bets. It's 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 a sequence. Don't don't make the big bet before the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, and get it right. Compounding. I mean, ultimately, Compounding. you don't want Compounding. to double your yes. money every three months. It's not important. If you compound at 22 percent, you're going to be fabulously rich at the end of the process. Trust yeah. me about that one. You will get the financial freedom that you so desire, and that's what stocks are for ultimately. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much for your time, Ramesh. It's been, as always, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you very much for being on this podcast. Thank you, Rahul, for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, your investors, uh, you know, profit from this. And thank you for the great job you're doing also in terms of educating the investors. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Investor Hour. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about this episode or the podcast in general. Be sure to write to me at info at equitymaster.com. That's I-N-F-O at equitymaster.com. Thank you once again and see you at the next edition of the Investor Hour. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.